What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Thursday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone number is 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecallendershow.com. And uh, remember, get the podcast. Go to WBT.com. Um, and it's free. comes right to your smartphone or tablet as soon as it gets loaded up, which is usually within, you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, uh, after each hour ends. So like about one fifteen, one thirty, you'll get hour one and just kind of follows like that. And they're stripped of all of the uh, commercials. So uh, get that. And uh, oh, and on Twitter at Pete Callender, uh, where uh, we do have a bit of fun poking people. So what does the Wake County District Attorney probe of the North Carolina Attorney General have in common with the debate in South Carolina in the state legislature uh, over abortion. What do these two things have in common? See if you can tell. Wake County District Attorney, I'm going to go over sort of the highlights of each story real quick. And yes, I will eventually divulge what I think is the common thread, but see if you can figure it out too. Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman's office has yet to pursue criminal charges in several complaints that elections investigators deemed worthy of criminal prosecution, including cases of vote fraud and campaign finance violations by an influential Raleigh CEO. This according to newly obtained records uh, by Nick Oxner at WBTV and Lucille Sherman at Axios.com. They do a bunch of uh, joint efforts. I forget what the, like the News Coalition, North Carolina Coalition or something like that. Uh, and uh, there are a bunch of different reporters from different news organizations, and they all collaborate on uh, certain big uh, uh, investigative pieces. So uh, this seems to be something, although it's not tagged as that, it seems to be something along those lines. All right, so this is from the WBTV.com website. You may recall the DA, Lauren Freeman, she is a Democrat in Wake County. The uh, complaint against the Attorney General Josh Stein also a Democrat, was that he lied in his campaign commercial where he attacked his Republican opponent, Jim O'Neill. Jim O'Neill is a district attorney in Forsyth County, and O'Neill was attacking Stein for the backlog in uh, testing rape kits and uh, Josh Stein being in charge of the state crime lab. And so Josh Stein turned around and said, Nuh-uh, you are even worse. And he accused Jim Forsyth of, or I'm sorry, Jim O'Neill uh, of Forsyth County of not testing his rape kits. That he left them sitting on the shelf. That's what they said in the ad. And O'Neill filed a complaint with the Board of Elections saying they knew that was not true of all people, of all agencies, right? The, the Attorney General's office would know, and Josh Stein, a former state lawmaker himself, would know that that's not true because the local DAs don't have the power to do the thing that the state agency does. And uh, it's, up, it's up to law enforcement to do these things and clear out the, uh, the, the backlog, get them submitted, have the state lab test them. But also, uh, if, there are, uh, you know, if there's no case being brought, if there are no charges being filed, the DA doesn't have custody or control of any of this. So he files a complaint with the Board of Elections. Because there's a law on the books, it's like 90-something years old, and it says... You can't defame your political opponents. You can't lie about them. And there's some language in there like, you know, uh, negligence and recklessness and that sort of thing. 
You're not allowed to do that. And so the Board of Elections investigates and they're like, nah, or, ah, mm, I don't really know. Could go either way. And so they don't recommend any kind of charges be brought. This is a criminal charge. They say, yeah, can't really do anything about it. Uh, okay, so we lied. But, I mean, it could be construed as maybe he could, like, uh, use the bully pulpit. The DA could use his bully pulpit to try to get these tested or something. But even in their write-up, they acknowledge that DAs don't have control over this. Okay. Uh, so the Board of Elections, which, again, I should point out, Roy Cooper sued, went to court in order to ensure that the Board of Elections uh, maintains its partisan composition. The governor appoints the uh, state board of elections and uh, it's a majority of his political party. At the state level, it's three to two Democrat to Republican. And at the local levels, it's uh, like two to one at the county boards of elections. But Democrats, whoever's in control of the governor's mansion controls the state boards of election and uh, at the county and the state. And the Republicans tried to change that. Roy Cooper said, no, I want control of the elections. And uh, he won in court. So the Board of Elections has an investigator. The investigator is like, eh, me, I don't really know. And so then it goes over to the DA. And the DA, because the O'Neill campaign is like, hey, DA, take a look at this. Lauren Freeman says, well, I'm going to recuse myself. I'm going to put one of my investigators in charge, puts, her, uh, puts this person in charge. That person then uh, does a, an investigation, comes back and says, I think we could probably get a charge out of this. At which point, Josh Stein waits until, like, the very end of the, the time period where, like, the, the DA is about to go to a grand jury and get a, a recommendation for uh, an indictment or whatever. And uh, he waits and waits and waits. And then finally he's like, this law is unconstitutional. I should be allowed under the uh, you know, freedom of speech protections. I should be allowed to tell lies on the campaign trail about my opponent. I'm not saying this is a lie. I'm just saying this. This law is unconstitutional because if I wanted to lie, I should be able to lie. Although I'm not saying I lie. And that's where the case was progressing until um, a court stepped in and said, no, I believe this was a court comprised of a majority of Democrats. They said you can't move forward. So what this story now says is that while the election or while the DA's office was pursuing this investigation of Josh Stein, there were these other cases that could have been examined and could have been brought forth for uh, charge or for trial, but they weren't. And so this is sort of the, the but for argument that, you know, but for the Josh Stein case distracting the DA, these other cases could have been proceeding through the system. I don't know if that's true, by the way, I I tend to think that a DA's office is quite capable of pursuing different investigations, but this is sort of the framing of this story. At the same time, her office continued to pursue charges against Josh Stein, despite recommendations from election investigators that the case be closed. Well, that's what they recommended for themselves, that they're not going to do it. The cases, uh, the cases that Freeman's office chooses to chase or not to chase are now a hotly debated topic in the legal and political circles in North Carolina. By pursuing the case against Stein, Freeman has alienated herself from some members of her own party who say the move is effectively political suicide. Hmm. Why? Why would that be political suicide? I thought Democrats were now the, the party of law and order. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so you got the story out of Wake County, reported by WBTV and Axios.com, that uh, the Wake County District Attorney's focus on bringing a criminal charge against the Attorney General over campaign lies in an ad uh, that he told about his opponent um, that has alienated her, the DA, Lauren Freeman, it has alienated her from her own party who say that the move in pursuing the charge is effectively political suicide. That's story exhibit A. Here's exhibit B. What do these stories have in common? South Carolina Senate, which is 30 Republicans, 16 Democrats. South Carolina Senate debate on an abortion ban that would no longer include exceptions for pregnancies caused by rape or incest started yesterday with the chamber's three Republican women taking a stand against a bill they said doesn't respect women and doesn't respect life. Republicans are facing off against each other over the ban. On one side is a core group that reviews uh, that views any abortion as ending a life. And on the other side are conservatives who have digested developments elsewhere since Roe v. Wade was overturned. And they say they don't want 14-year-old rape victims to have to give birth or force a mother to carry to term a fetus unable to live outside the womb. The legislation under debate would only allow abortion in two circumstances, when the mother's life or health is in jeopardy and in cases of lethal fetal anomalies that would keep the baby from being able to live after birth. Senators have been told the proceedings could last days. If the legislation is approved and signed into law, South Carolina would join Indiana as states that have passed near-total abortion bans since the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. Mary Green and Jeffrey Collins, writing uh, for the Associated Press, report a, a first vote to try to add back the exceptions got rejected 23 to 6. None of the, sten- uh, the Senate's Democrats voted in that measure. They refused to vote to put the exceptions back in. They refused to help moderate Republicans, so they kept the bill as strict as possible to try to defeat it because they don't want any exceptions or they don't want any of the the underlying bill to pass, so they're not going to make it more moderate. They're not going to help make it a more moderate bill. They're not going to look out for more women. They would rather the most radical form of the bill pass or the most conservative form of the bill pass They'd rather that than to try to moderate it to protect the life of the mother, because that's what the party of women does. Um, Democrats are not going to help Republicans out of a box of their own making by making an awful bill a very bad bill, said Senate Minority Leader Brad Hutto, Democrat from Orangeburg. The three Republican women in the Senate rose early in the debate and spoke back-to-back, saying they can't support it unless the rape and incest exceptions are restored. Senator Penry Gustafson, Republican from Kershaw, said, Are we simply baby machines? Are you pregnant with a dead baby? Too bad. Raped at 11 by your grandfather and got pregnant? That's just too bad. Gustafson watched as the Senate's longest-serving woman, Senator Katrina Sheely from Lexington, Republican, said the 41 men in the Senate would be better off listening to their wives, daughters, mothers, granddaughters, and nieces. Quote, yes, I'm pro-life. I'm also pro-life for the mother, the life she has with her children who are already born. I care about the children who are forced into adulthood, made up by a legislature full of men so they can feel good about it. 
Senator Richard Cash from Anderson, Republican, compared abortion to slavery, asking if the human being in the womb is nothing more than the property of a woman. I don't know. I don't know if he directly made the comparison, but again, just as a side note here, the argument, the debate is when do rights attach? When do they obtain? When does the unborn human get the most fundamental right to life? Right. The same bill without exceptions appeared to fail in the state house, which is more conservative, before some Republicans maneuvered through a series of votes to allow abortions for rape and incest victims up to the 12th week of pregnancy. South Carolina currently has a ban on abortions. Once cardiac activity in the fetus is detectable, that's usually about six weeks. That law has been suspended, though, which means their 20-week abortion ban is the current benchmark. Okay, so that's where that stands. That's the second story. What's the common thread in those two stories? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So the first story I covered was the uh, Wake County District Attorney investigating the Attorney General, both Democrats. Second story, the floor debate on abortion restrictions in the South Carolina legislature pitting Republicans against one another. What's the takeaway? My takeaway? Maybe... Just hear me out. I'm just spitballing here. But maybe political parties have room for differing opinions inside of them. Is that possible? Is it possible that just because you're a member of a party doesn't mean you have to agree with every other member of the party on every single issue? Is that possible? The other day, somebody called in. I forget who it was, and uh, they uh, said something to the effect of, uh, they, they called somebody a rhino. And they asked me uh, what I thought a rhino, or what's a Republican, I think. Anyway, I said a Republican to me is anybody who's registered as a Republican. That's how I define these things now. Because, the, especially with the Republicans, right? I don't even think they have a platform anymore. So, uh, does that mean that if I were to, and I'm not a registered Republican, but if I were to go register as a Republican, I would become a Republican. But if I disagree with any single Republican in the party, if I disagree with any of the candidates, if I find any of the positions that any fellow Republican takes that now I'm a, quote, rhino. I saw uh, Pat McCrory had a, 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 an op-ed, I think at The Hill, uh, I saw the other day, and I, I heard him talking about it with Bo and Beth on uh, Good Morning BT, talking about labels. And I, I, I thought it was fair to say he ran, when he was governor, uh, you know, he was cast as this uh, this hater, right-wing, you know, uber-conservative extremist over the HB2 bill because he signed that into law. Meanwhile, he's being called a rhino by Republicans. It's like, what are these what do these labels even mean at this point? So my view on it now is if you know, you're a Republican, I don't even know what a rhino means. Um, so be, because people are registered as Republicans and they do things and they adopt positions that I disagree with, that I would submit would probably be more in line with uh, folks on the other side of the political aisle. But how do they vote more often than not? I'm not defending Liz Cheney. I want to say that right out of the gate here. Not a fan, <laughs> but uh, 
I think her record was like something like 90-something percent of the time she voted with Trump's agenda. But she went after Trump. Right? So that makes her a rhino. Donald Trump was a longtime Democrat and became a Republican. And then I think he went back to being like a Democrat and then became a Republican again. Not a rhino. Right? Or maybe he is. I don't know. So I point this out, and it's th- this, this uh, cognitive dissonance is particularly acute among media folks when covering Republicans, that there is debate inside Republican circles on what kinds of restrictions should be applied to abortion. People have different opinions about this inside of the Republican Party. I know this is uh, people inside Republican and conservative politics already know this, but a lot of folks who cover Republican politics, they don't. Again, I've, I've pointed this out in the past that it's just it's one of the things that you have to sacrifice when becoming a uh, political journalist. You either get to divine the motives of all Republicans or all Democrats. You can never figure out the political motivation for Democrats if you can figure out the political motivation for Republicans. And by the way, that one's easy because then they just say it's just, you know, racism, sexism, uh, Islamophobia, transphobia, whatever. And, and by the way, that's that, that's sort of why I did the show I did yesterday, the first hour talking about uh, the Charlotte City Council Mayor Pro Tem selection. These were all Democrats and they all decided to reject, break with historical norms and reject the first Asian-American woman to be the top votainer, person with the most votes, in the at-large election. That person, whoever wins the most votes in the at-large race, usually gets the mayor pro tem appointment. And they passed her over. They rejected her. And they just said that this other guy who finished second, that, oh, he, he can build consensus. And I asked for examples of that, and I, I have yet to see a single example offered. If that were Republican... If that were a Republican move, you know what the coverage of that would sound like, right? Which is why I said, why are they rejecting the first Asian, uh, Asian American female for that post? Remember the same people were saying all sorts of stuff about uh, Hillary Clinton, this historical candidacy. And they're saying it about Sherry Beasley as well. It's always about, you know, this is a historical campaign, a historical figure, it's got to be about the history. we got to do it for history and all of that. Well, what about Dimple Ejmira for Mayor Pro Tem? What about the historical nature of that? We've already had black male mayors pro tem. Mayors pro tem? Mayor pro tems? Anyway, you don't hear any of these arguments being made. And by the way, I would also point out the reason why the South Carolina legislature gets to have this debate and gets to hash this out and figure out where the policy should be and what the restriction should be. The only reason they get to have this debate is because of the Dobbs decision. And that's a good thing. This is where the work to quote, well, basically like every Democrat. Now this is where the work gets done in the legislative chambers, not in the judicial chambers with some lawyers with a wardrobe change. That's not where this should have been decided. It never should have been decided at that level. And now it's gone back to the people in the states and they're going to hash it out and states are going to come to different conclusions as it should be, as by design, as intended. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 
September's Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. Third annual Little Heroes Blood Drives going on. The next one is on Tuesday. That's the 12th. So go to WBT.com, set your appointment time, come on down, give some blood, save some lives for the kids. We're doing these drives every week in September, but do it early, knock it out, get it you know checked off the list. We do them at the uh, Jack Daniels Doghouse at the corner of Mint and Moorhead. Just look for the big, uh, the big red bus, the one blood big red bus. And uh, consider, please, making a life-saving donation. Third annual Little Heroes Blood Drives at the Doghouse. Thank you again to Affordable Siding and Windows and Jameson Realty for uh, supporting the effort as well. Um, do you know who Nick Tac? Sorry, Nick Catogio is Catogio. I think it's how he pronounces that. It was Allah Pundit. This was his real name. Now, maybe some other people knew that. I did not. I've been reading Allah Pundit at hotair.com. Well, since hotair.com started, he's no longer at hotair.com. He was one of the founders of it. He's now gone over to the dispatch. And a lot of people say good riddance. And a lot of people are sad to see him go. I am in the camp of not going to pay through a paywall to read you. But... (laughs) Uh, but good luck to you. No, I mean, look, I don't have to agree with everything that someone writes in order to see value in uh, reading their work. And uh, I mean, it's not value like commensurate with me paying to get behind the paywall. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I am going to miss you know not seeing that opinion on hotair.com. Now, that being said, um, he kind of he kind of got very covid afraid. He, he, he went he went down that path. He was he was a never Trumper. And so he angered a lot of the audience at hotair.com because he was a never Trumper. And uh, then with this uh, with the covid pandemic, uh, he, he at one point, I think, advocated like throwing people out of emergency rooms and ICUs if they were not vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Like, OK. And so he lost a lot of followers and. Uh, uh, he got a lot of critics for both of those uh, positions, the COVID stuff. And I think he was like basically a hermit for over a year. He's so terrified of COVID. Um, But anyway, he he moves over to the dispatch, which is the one set up by Stephen Hayes, formerly of the weekly standard uh, and Jonah Goldberg, formerly of national review. They started the dispatch and um, he says he is there because too much of conservative media lies to its audience which, by the way, uh, I will not do. So, But I understand what he's talking about. There are some sites I do not go to specifically because of the way they cover topics. Um, and by the way, virtually all newsrooms do this to the degree that he is going to uh, explain. He says sometimes conservative media lies by commission, right? It actually it acts in a, in a dishonest way. It lies flat out, okay? But mostly it lies by omission through strenuous acts of gatekeeping. It justifies those lies by assuring itself that the other side's media is worse. That is true. That is true. There is a gatekeeping function for anyone who does any kind of news commentary, news aggregation, journalism, right? What is news? That is the fundamental question newsrooms and journalists ask themselves when pursuing whatever stories are on the agenda for that day. What is news? And you can't cover everything. So you have to make decisions. I have said for years that the bias is often reflected in the stories that are not covered. 
I've told the story before. I was in a newsroom at one point in my career, and uh, there was a uh, a fundraising event for a Republican candidate. They were bringing to town Larry Pratt, Gun Owners of America, and he was going to talk about Fast and Furious. And the people in the newsroom said, the movie? Nobody in that newsroom knew what Fast and Furious was, which is an indictment on, right, groupthink, but also the hiring process that essentially allowed an entire news staff to be built without a single person except me ever having heard of Operation Fast and Furious. But he says, I'll upund it, or should I say Nick Catagio, 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 Nick Cato. And uh, wasn't that the guy in the guest house at O.J. Simpson's? Anyway, he says he doesn't think that the other side is worse anymore. The foundational assumption of conservative media is that because big media is corrupt, its antagonists can never quite lose their moral superiority no matter how irresponsibly they behave. Again, I think there is truth to this. There are some media outlets on the right that engage in such fantastical hyperbole, and they, they claim a morally superior position, and they have become exactly the same thing that they accuse the other side of being. And part of that is because the journalism schools crank out a lot of leftists. And part of that is because uh, a lot of people with wealth are the only ones that can become journalists because it just doesn't pay very well. So you have to be able to either, you know, go to college and get out debt-free, and I'm going to circle back to that, trust me, the, the student debt forgiveness. I'm gonna, I'll circle back to that like Jen Psaki would. I'm going to get to that. But in order to get into this field... You've got to be willing to either take on a whole bunch of debt or have wealthy parents or a trust fund or something to pay it all off and then be able to work for years at, you know, 30K a year. And then hope that you, you know, make it to a bigger market and hope to be able to make enough money to uh, support a family or just yourself, right? So it narrows that pool. All right, we'll get back to more of Allah Pundit or Nick Katajos, whatever. More of his piece in a minute. 